Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 118 of the Not Analytics podcast. I am Ross Markle, along with my friend and colleague, Andrew Hayslip. And uh, Hayslip, before we go any further, I think it's probably worth mentioning this is the last episode of the Not Analytics podcast. Yeah, it is. It is, for, for at least for now, until I drag you back in, in a little bit after you've taken some time off and you realize how much you miss this. I mean, that's, it, it'll happen. They always come back. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, you know, never say <laughs> never again, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a hell of a run. I mean, obviously it's been such an honor to, to do all this with you and, uh, we will certainly conclude today's show by talking about, you know, things we've learned along the way. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a blast. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I am going to try to divert some of, of the energy I've been spending on the podcast to some more professionally related creative outlets. Um, oh. so, so maybe some other things around the bend for me. But uh, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, we've we've thrown our 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 chance at it. We've put our message out there. We've tried to put forth, you know, the things that we think are important in the world of fantasy football, you know, as, as much as things can be important in that world. Um, but you know, as I, I, I hearken back to our 100th episode, you know, when my buddy Tad said, you know, there's a lot of two episode podcasts. I feel great that we've been at this for over two years now and, you know, pretty consistent holidays, notwithstanding, uh, in, in, getting a podcast out there and putting out a product that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't want to bury the lead kind of on, on things that we're going to touch on in the end and in terms of what we've learned. So I guess I'll just take this opportunity at the top to, to thank you for, for all the effort that you've put in. I mean, to this day, I still don't have a damn clue how to upload any of what we're recording right now to SoundCloud or push it to iTunes or anything like that. So you have done a ton of work behind the scenes and I can only hope to one day repay that by maybe taking some of your work, work, your work, work related stuff and, you know, maybe maybe creating a Power BI dashboard or two out of it. Well, I mean, and likewise, <laughs> what you've done with our Twitter presence is something I never could have stomached in the, the little Twitter interactions I've had. <laughs> it's been quite literally nauseating. Um, so the fact that you've built up. You know, more than 2,000 followers for us on Twitter. And I have to imagine anybody that's listening to this that isn't someone I personally know or am related to, um, you know, thank, that's thanks to your work on Twitter. So without people listening, you know, although we always said that wasn't really what we cared about, we cared about having fun and doing what we thought was important. Um, I have to say thanks to you as well for, for everything you've done and keeping people engaged and aware of what we're doing. And uh, obviously, It's easier to have fun when, when people are following you and, and in being involved in your work. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes. <laughs> I just think about some of the, the recent engagements I've had on Twitter where I just kind of wish no one had ever read what I wrote. But um, <laughs> yeah, You've had some spicy tweets lately. So everyone should check them out at not underscore analytics. Yeah, check them are out. Still, while you are, can. We, are we still pushing? Are we still pushing the, the Twitter if this is the last episode? I, I mean, I, I don't look. Know. I will probably listen. I'm still going to keep tweeting from my personal account, and I'm going to use our 2,000 person platform to to retweet my personal stuff. So I mean, like you know, it's not going to be a dead account. Well, and look, 
when I'm watching football or I just get drunk or angry about something random in the football world, I'll still probably go on the Nut Analytics handle and fire that out there. Um, so Twitter does may have still... to be does it have to be football related that you get drunk or angry about? I mean, like I, like today, I I actually put out a tweet on on my account saying that I think we as a we as a society should stop using sus to describe things. Like I like I know that's that's like one of the 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 young hot trendy slang terms and and I just hate it and I don't have a great reason for hating it but I just do. So I I wouldn't hate seeing tweets like that coming from you. Is that is that still on the table? I actually so on a couple of weeks ago Julia looked at me begrudgingly and said, like, with, like, just sheer pain on her face, she was like, I think I need to watch the MCU from the beginning. Like, she was, I could tell that was a week of her finally getting up the courage to commit to it, uh, knowing that I would be so excited. So we started, and Julia has this terrible habit of criticizing unrealistic things but things that are like minutely unrealistic in a wholly unrealistic Hmm. film. So I got on, I reactivated my personal Twitter to live tweet things she was saying were unrealistic about the MCU. None of which were like, where did the infinity stones come from? They were more (laughs) like, how does Scarlett Johansson fight with hair in her face? Like things like that, (laughs) where I'm just like, this is pure Twitter gold. So I sent those things out from my personal Twitter I try to keep my my not analytics activity to to just football related activity. But in any mm. case, we're rambling. I think the whole point of this is to say uh, major thanks to you, Hayslip. Um, major thanks to anybody who's ever taken time to listen to or read anything we've done under the not analytics umbrella. And and as you were so eloquent to point out on our 100th episode, major thank you to Heather and Julia who've sacrificed time for us to organize all this and put it together um so overall this is uh you know a farewell but one of gratitude and appreciation and fondness yeah i mean and not and not just those folks but i also want to kind of give a special shout out to anyone who isn't you or i who's taken time out of their day to to be a guest on this i mean Talking to everyone from from Brett Brito, Fantasy Ladder Steve, um, Dr. Brian Harwood, I mean, Rum Boys Robbie, Herms, I mean, uh, Travis May. The, the list goes on and on. Uh, the uh, All of the guys that have been in the Not Analytics Analyst League, like there are countless folks, named and unnamed, that we owe a debt of gratitude to for for taking time out of their day to contribute their opinions and their their wisdom and help us all collectively grow. Well, and that, you know, wonderful segue uh, into the Not Analytics League, where uh, former guest Eagles fan Al Kalo took home the championship uh, this past weekend. He did. And, and that officially, you know, with us shutting this down means you are the only uh, Not Analyst podcast member to have <laughs> won the Not Analytics Analyst League. So um, thanks, shout out to Al Kalo, both for his appearance on the podcast a couple months ago and also for uh, you know winning the, the Not Analytics Analyst League this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, any, other, any other notes on saying goodbye before we start to finally uh, get this show underway? No, I, I thought that you were actually going to 
use that as a transition to talk about the first bullet point, talking about Alcala winning and, and doing that on the back of the most difficult playoffs ever. And I think this I was, was going to transition. I, I was, that was you a know great what? You segue. didn't transition. So I stole the transition from you. That's, that's how that's going to work. I thought it was worth taking, I was thought it was worth burning the perfect segue because I didn't want to steal anything you might want to say of important. So anyhow, mm. yes, we've been meaning to talk about, the most difficult playoffs ever. And I don't think maybe this past week was as insane as it has been the few weeks before when really Omicron, you know, mm-hmm. really started to destroy the NFL. But if you won kudos is all I can say. Uh, Agree. Yes. Most difficult playoffs ever by not even close. Yeah. I, I think we were talking about this a little bit when, when we were kind of putting show notes together over the last couple of weeks, you and I talked about, I, I have been playing fantasy football for a little over 15 years now. And I know that I think you're, you're flirting with the 20 year range. Cause you, cause you got a couple of years on me and this is far and away the most difficult season, at least the most difficult playoff season either of us can remember because it wasn't just a discussion about proper handcuffing and making sure that if you have Dalvin Cook, okay, I've got my insurance policy in Alexander Madison. I'm good. I'm secure. I, I know that Madison practiced, or I know that Dalvin Cook practiced Friday, so he's going to be good to go Sunday. And 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 you're you were able to kind of plan the next 48 hours the way that you've been able to do for the last however many number of years you've played. Nowadays, God only knows who is going to be available at any given time. And and and, and not just that, I, I point specifically to like Cook Madison because Omicron can knock out an entire running back room and out of nowhere, you're up a creek, whereas previously and in previous years, you had properly insured yourself. So the way that this season particularly and, and more accurately the last few weeks have set themselves up the level of preparation and bench depth and ability to scramble and make plans and pivot quickly is an incredible skill. And anyone that won a championship this week or last week, depending on when they, depending on when your, your playoffs wrapped up or hell, even this upcoming week, which we're not going to talk about. um, If you manage to pull out a W from that, uh, kudos to you. Absolutely. Well, and you, one of the things that I think made this this season for me really challenging was the shift to the 18 game season because for so <laughs> many years it was all right. Week 14, we're in the playoffs, and there was at least one league where I was like, wait a second, when do the playoffs start again? What week is that? Because it was all off. Um, but I, you know, I will, well, and I, and I'll be honest with you, confession time. You and I are in the dress league, and I took over commissioner duties in that dress league this just this past year and our playoffs wrapped up a week earlier than I intended because it was still carryover settings and I didn't bump out our championship bracket one week the way that I should have. So I, it, it proved to be a challenge in, in, in a lot of different ways, kind of to the, to that same point that you're talking about. Well, I will now artfully segue to our next point in the, in the notes <laughs> Uh, the one league in which I did win a championship, I was one for one in my championship games this past week. I pulled out what should have been a, a comfortable victory, but ended up only being about a five point win because I started Antonio Brown. 
and God. was feeling quite good for the first part of that game. And then Twitter, Instagram, everything went insane because, uh, you know, even Julia, who knows nothing about football, came into the living room and was like, why is Anthony Brown not playing anymore? <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, honey, that is that's adorable. But I think it's gotten to the point you and I text about this taste slip. This is beyond like joke at this point. There's there's yeah. something wrong. This is without a doubt the craziest thing I have ever seen happen on the field. I mean, a game in game or not, this was the most baffling thing ever. Ooh. I mean, it. it Miles Garrett hits Mason Rudolph in the head with a helmet. That's that was pretty that was pretty intense. But I think that I think that overall confusing goes to this. I mean, here's 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 your humble brag of the episode. I was working the Titans game and I'll be honest with you, like between plays, I have my phone out. I'm checking scores of other games. I'm checking my fantasy team results. I mean, like there are other things that I'm doing between plays as I'm calling out first down lines. And at one point we cut to a commercial break as this Antonio Brown thing was going down and my spot in the booth, I'm standing literally two feet away from Trent green and I'm showing him Twitter on my phone. And he's looking at this, like what the hell is happening with Antonio Brown? And he's calling down to the production truck and yeah, it, it turned out to be a whole thing. But I can I can say that I was the one that shared this information with Trent Green. You know, what's what's incredible about that is I actually I can show you a picture. I met Trent Green at the Bud Light Super Bowl 45 party. Uh, can I can I, let me stop you real quick. before before you give your experience? I will say he is without a doubt one of the nicest people on the planet. I thought you were going to say most handsome because that is also that true. He is a good looking man. He's got a a chiseledly square jaw and uh <laughs> i'll never forget uh aforementioned my buddy tad whistle of the sin the fields podcast he and i were at the at the bud light super bowl party which featured uh pitbull nelly and kesha were the musical acts and okay. tad said look at your phone and just keep walking and we snuck into vip where we met uh trent green uh paul Shearer. Uh, Donald Glover. I mean, like we met all of these famous wow. people. It was incredible. Okay. And, and I got to give a shout out to Tad for convincing me to have the stones to just put my head down and walk <laughs> into VIP like I, I was meant to be there. Uh, in any case, wow, we are we are tangenting like champions tonight. But uh, you know what? It's it's fine. It's the last episode. If we're here till 3 a.m., that's that's fine. I can handle that. If we're here till 3 a.m., I will have been asleep for four hours. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's crazy. I do think it's there is an obvious mental health aspect to this, but I think this the kind of really sad part was not maybe really sad. The mental health part is the saddest part. But behind yes. that, like I think he would have gotten a contract next year. Like there's no way he lands on an NFL roster after this. Is there? I think I agree with you. I think this is I think this is the last that we see him on the field. Now I don't know that I agree with you that he wasn't already done in the sense of, I mean, with, with the fake vaccination papers and everything, I think that it would have required a very, very specific set of circumstances for him to get a contract in 2022. And, and realistically, the 
far and away front runner would be the Tampa Bay Bucks, just because they've put up with him this far. They're probably the leading candidate to understand kind of what they're dealing with in him. And obviously, if Brady comes back, he's got that relationship and yada, yada. I don't know that I see a team like, I don't know, arbitrarily picking in the San Francisco 49ers going out and signing him. I, I don't know that I don't know that another organization is willing to bring on that level of unknown, given the given the headaches that he's proven he has for multiple teams to this point. Well, the weird thing is, I think the only two teams that would possibly be in that conversation are teams where he has already burned the bridge, i.e. Yeah. Bucks because of his relationship with Tom Brady and, and the Raiders, uh, who will take a shot on anybody. I could, in a, in a world 10 years ago, have seen the I could Dallas wrap my Cowboys. head around the Patriots as well, for whatever well, that's worth. I mean, I don't see the Patriots now without Brady being a team that would take a chance on him. I could... 10 years yeah, ago, probably. See, see the Cowboys being the kind of team that would take a shot at him, you know, back in like the T.O. Keyshawn days. Um, sure. But but I think they're they're beyond that. I think they've kind of moved to a more responsible roster management and you see the results. Uh, you know, they're a much better team now. So, sure. Let's move on to just a couple of other things. Uh, as you mentioned, uh well, you know, you mentioned it before we got on air, but last night was Ben Roethlisberger's final game in Heinz Field. Um, I will say personally, as a lifelong Steelers fan, I've always had a tumultuous relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not a Ben fan. Uh, I, I could certainly critique his on the field play, especially this season. I I've I know many people who have worked with and in and around the Steelers organization. Not one of them has ever described Ben as a nice guy. Um, so, I mean, at the same time, he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. The, he, the guy single-handedly won them that Super Bowl 43 against the Cardinals. I mean, he played elite yeah. quarterback for the last eight weeks of that season. I mean, all-time great stretch of games. Uh, I mean, he no doubt he's been a phenomenal player and has had an incredible career. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of excited to see what the next chapter holds for, for the Steelers and what this team might look like in the next two, three years. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to expand on that a whole lot because you, you follow the Steelers a lot more closely than I ever have, ever will. Um, I think all of that is well said. I do think I, – I will give a shout-out to the ESPN broadcast crew – staying on him and his laps around the field as long as they did. Cause I, I felt like that was a well-earned moment for Ben, the player, regardless of again, his off field transgressions and things like that. Um, but specifically the producing team uh, to, to kind of give him that moment on the national stage, I thought was, was handled. Well, there were, there were admittedly some, some comments related to his past transgressions that were, handled less than appropriately, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that. I thought that just from a production standpoint, it, the whole, the whole thing was handled in aggregate very well. Uh, one note I will share whenever Najee Harris broke off that touchdown uh, in the waning minutes, I, I got a text from one of my buddies who said, you know, he should have taken a knee so that Ben could end the mm-hmm. game in victory formation. And I said, Dude, the guy hasn't seen daylight like that all year. I mean, he's had like 350 <laughs> carries and he hasn't seen open field 
any point this season, you have to cut him some slack for maybe forgetting to do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we talked a lot this past season about what the insane amount of quarterback turnover that we expected to see. And ultimately, I mean, I think did see a large amount of that, but the, the, with the Steelers all but being eliminated from playoff contention, they need a miracle Jacksonville win. I actually started looking at the 2022 NFL draft order. And it's kind of crazy to think that it's, it's only um, about four months away. Uh, until we till we are talking about the draft in Vegas. And just a few things to keep in mind is that uh, the New York teams have four of the top eight picks. Um, the Jets mm. and Giants, I think they go three, four, seven, eight. Jets, Giants, Jets, Giants. The Eagles have three first round picks. And uh, according to NFL.com, four of the top 10 teams that have picks. So, you know, add in the top 12 teams have needs at quarterback and that's not counting the giants Falcons or Browns. Um, yeah. and there are no elite quarterbacks in this draft. So, um, it's kind of crazy. It's going to be a very, very interesting draft. I'll be excited to see how high Kenny Pickett goes. Um, but that's kind of, you know, especially from my football fandom with fantasy kind of being over, that's where, where my mind is about to shift is what is the draft going to look like in, in just a few months. Yeah, the draft and, and free agency even before that, I think that there are going to be a lot of really interesting moving parts in free agency because I think there are some teams that that really kind of I, I set themselves in a different direction organizationally, if you will. I mean, the Dolphins are a prime example, and the Dolphins have, per PFF, a historically bad offensive line. And, and, and kind of talking about quarterbacks and, and team directions – how can you give Tua a fair evaluation when he functionally has you and I blocking for him? I mean, like there have been some some mishaps in his development and there have been some question marks and and, and, and accuracy issues and, and, and taking too many sacks. But I don't know that there are and there are a lot of things that I think overall through free agency and the draft are, are going to really kind of set themselves up. Interestingly, the Carolina Panthers and their questions at offensive line and quarterback kind of being another that, that I'm really going to be interested to see how they, how they address things. Um, uh, not only just kind of through the draft, but all, I mean, like from a, from a salary cap perspective, I mean, you and I know that I study that religiously and there are a lot of teams that have a lot of space and, and this could be a, this could be a fun off season just in that regard as they all are. Quite, you know, you had to pick right now, where is Aaron Rodgers playing next year? Green Bay. There's wow. a, there's there's your, there's your bold pick. He he stays in Green Bay. Uh, if I had to pick a number two option, it's probably Denver, just because they're the most set up to win today. Um, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have no offensive line. I think their offensive line has done better than than you thought it would have. Well, All okay, yeah. Concerned. Well, I'm still looking at a Christmas tree that's set up in the office. Their their guards have been better than this Christmas tree. Hey, yeah, I mean, all right. Anyhow, <laughs> we, we, we have not made it out of news and notes, and we're already at the 23-minute mark. So um, let's move on. Let's, let's do the Fantasy Academy. Um, 
we're we're going to do a brief kind of stop here because we have been summarizing a couple of draft strategies over the last couple of weeks. We talked about some of our, our later great tight end strategy. We talked about two RB or zero RB a couple of weeks ago. I, I think the one question I wanted to bring up, you know, because really anything at this point is basically in the negative reference to those strategies. I think the, the thought that ran through my head when we were talking about running backs is we saw such volatility and such low hit rates from some of, of the running backs, especially early in the first round this past season. Do you give any thought to taking, uh, you know, a wide receiver like a Tyreek Hill or a quarterback like a like a Lamar or like a Patrick Mahomes in the first round a little more, given that we saw some less than great success from both the tight end and running back position in the first round this past season? Sure. I am going to hedge the snot out of this answer because I, I'll, I'll say right now, I haven't I haven't started looking at my 2022 rankings yet. And the reason and, and kind of the hedge in that is I don't necessarily know how my rankings and more accurately, my tiers are going to shake out. Now, this has been a thing that we talk about every time we do rankings, but tier dra- tier based drafting is absolutely critical when evaluating your fantasy draft. And, and if you have maybe one receiver that's left in a tier and you've got then subsequently three or four running backs, maybe you take the the wide receiver that's the last in the tier because it becomes at that point a conversation of scarcity. You think that the tiers are about comparable. You take the more you take the last guy remaining and hope that the next tier of the other position makes it around you. So in hedging that answer, I kind of look at running back and just kind of eyeballing the teams right here. I think Jonathan Taylor is probably his own tier at most likely the 1.01 in a, in a non-superflex format at, or the, the very least he is in his own tier at running back. And then I think you could make a really solid argument that there are quite a few running backs behind him that, that kind of make up that second tier. We saw it this year where the second, where there was a tier of four guys, McCaffrey, Kamara, um, Cook and Henry and then there was a second tier behind them. I think this I think coming up in 2022, it's going to be Taylor kind of on his own and then a tier behind him. And I think it's going to be probably seven or eight names behind that. So I think the abundance of tier two running backs and, and, and tier two, not like a step down, but like kind of those one B groups of running backs. I think that that's actually going to push the scarcity of the elite elite receivers up a little bit. Maybe Kelsey sneaks back up into that middle of the first round range. Cooper cut might get there. Devonte Adams, depending on what his situation and the Rogers situation looks like. Um, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase guys like that could find themselves ahead of running backs that in a vacuum are more valuable, but simply because there are more okay ish RB ones, if you will. Yeah, I I will say from my side, you know, Tyreek Hill, as we sit today, is the one name where I would say, like, if I'm drafting, you know, eight, nine, somewhere in that ballpark, I would think about him before a lot of guys, um, you know, if you want to talk about an Antonio Gibson or a Joe Mixon uh, or a Zeke, you know, those guys have way too many question marks and just seeing Sort sure. of consistency and stability. I would add Devonte Adams in there for sure. If 
if Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback. Um, but uh, I don't think that's that's going to be the case. So I think for me, are those still your top receivers? Uh, Tyreek Hill is because because I can tell you right now, if I was ranking today, I would have Cup and Jefferson, then Adams and Hill. Yeah. And I'm and, and then and and then it kind of gets a little bit hazy. People are starting to put Jamar Chase in that conversation. I think that's a little rich, but that's that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I would not put Cooper Cup in my top four um, as of right now, just because I've heard this song. Who would before. you have if you've got Cup, Adams, and Jefferson? Who would you not, or who is the last name you would put in front of Cup? Uh, I would put Chase. Uh, I would put Hill, Chase, and not in this order. Hill, Chase, Adams, sure. and Jefferson all in front of Cup, only because okay. of of the question marks and, and the, the inconsistency I've seen in the past. Um, that's just that's too scary for me to to bank on him that high with what you see in the other options. I mean, Tyreek Hill is just it's money in the bank. It's just the guy's gonna get. 12 targets a game on one of the best passing offenses. And I can't, I can't say that's going to be a case with Cooper cup because he's let me down before. So um, I think all this to say we're, we're way too far down the rabbit hole. I'm going to have, we are, but I'm going to bring up Jamar chase later for that very reason. But I just, I I wanted, I wanted to hear specifically where you were going to put chase as it relates to the rest of this conversation. Cause I think he becomes very interesting next year. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole point of, of what we just talked about is, there are a plethora of names that I think getting away from, I have to take a running back in the first round is, is a good idea. Um, I'm not saying, and this is, you know, maybe the the broader point, you and I don't like draft strategies, period. We like seeing how the board falls, taking good players. And unless it's something like we talked about with the tight ends, where we, we have a guy that we've specifically picked out, that's a little bit different, but um, I think to say definitely for me, the two RB RB heavy, however you want to say it is, is kind of out the window. Um, it, it's more about the guys. Okay. And and we've seen that even the elite, even your, your cream of the crop, your, your every league, the first four guys off the board busted this year. And, and for me, that just says, you know, you got to kind of come in with your, your research, come in with the guys that you think have good opportunity, good consistency, good explosiveness, et cetera. And that, you know, that first round pick, I just want a guy that I know I can, can rely on. Um, I don't necessarily need them to have 25 points a game. I need them to play 13, 14, 15 weeks. Uh, and that's something. Well, I'm glad you say that. I'm, I'm glad you say that because I, I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, and, and I forget who it was, forgive me. But they said that Travis Kelsey, despite this being a relatively disappointing season by Travis Kelsey in capital letters standards, he still belongs in the conversation of middle of the first round in 2022. Do you do you agree with that? Is that kind of where your head's at, that that you still glean value from a tight end? He's still the tight end one by by obviously the the nature of this conversation, is that is that a route that you're okay with going? I regret maybe going as high as middle of the first round. Uh, I would probably, I agree with that. I would say anywhere, you know, if you're talking in a 12 team league, eight to 12, I'm totally fine with, 
But where okay. we took him at five, that eh, was maybe a bit aggressive, and I probably wouldn't do that again. Yeah, I don't know that I agree with. It. I don't know that I agree that it was a, that it was too aggressive because I I liked our process as it relates to the tier breaks behind the top four running backs. But but I mean like yeah, looking forward into next year where those tiers are going to be vastly different and and quite frankly far more jumbled within the position. Like in 2021, there was the top four running backs I mentioned, obviously McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, and Kamara. And then it was a pretty clear tier break at the running back position. And there wasn't really outside of maybe Adams and Hill, there wasn't really a receiver that you wanted to put there. So I felt like as it relates to process, putting Kelsey there was still as, as it relates to differentiation at the position, still the right call. But, but yeah, I think in, I, I'm going to be really curious to see how this, how the tiers shake out in 2022. No, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that I think it was bad strategically. That's that that's not what I intended to say. I think it it what happened definitely made me a little gun shy about executing okay. that strategy yeah, that. in the future. Um, and for what it's worth, you and I both made the playoffs in that league. You know, in in a, in a highly competitive twelve team league with no trades, we both took Kelsey at five, and we both made the playoffs. We were both in the running. Um, so you know, it that's all right. ended up working Hashtag out. Kelsey so. Club. That's right. Yep. That's right. So. Um, speaking of, you know, our brilliance and, and things we've done well, let's, let's <laughs> shift into the conclusion of our end of season awards. And we've got quite a few, I think you've listed about eight or nine different awards here. I don't know. Is, how it, many. is it that few? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, We're nine, through K 10. There the... are 11 awards that you have. So we will not get through all of these. Maybe we will, who knows? We, we but, will, but we'll spend like 10 seconds per. Okay, fair enough. Um, let's start off with, uh, you know, in 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 contrast to uh, praising our Kelsey Club position, our worst calls of the year, and mm-hmm. I will allow you, Hayslip, to go first. Yeah, I'm going to say Saquon Barkley was my worst call of the year because there was a point early in the season where I wasn't saying that Kelsey at five was the right call. Now, eventually, I kind of got there. But early on in the offseason, I'm talking probably June, July, I was saying that Kelsey at six was the right call because at pick five, the correct pick after the aforementioned four running backs was Saquon Barkley. And he turned out to be absolutely terrible. And it wasn't even like, okay, yes, I get it. He was coming back from an injury. But even when he was playing, he was simply not productive. We mentioned it on the show last week. The, the quote uh, that, that I, I still have to give credit to, God, I forget who it was, but when Saquon Barkley is indistinguishable from Devontae Booker, the backup, you know there's a problem. And Saquon Barkley, for all of my early offseason touting of he should be the fifth pick, um, was simply a bad choice. And if you would be better off if you had simply been nowhere near Saquon Barkley. So – uh, I I eventually kind of came around, got a little more hesitant on Barkley, but even even come draft season, I don't think he ever fell out of my top probably 10, 11. He didn't fall out of that Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Jones tier, and like that's that's kind of where he lived, and you would be way better off with any of those names over Saquon Barkley, but certainly at pick 105. He was my bust of the year. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, as I mentioned last year, he ranked, 
uh, or last last episode, he he ranked near the bottom of, of eligible players in terms of points per snap. And it frankly wasn't as much the injuries as it was just lack of productivity. Um, and I don't know that that's Saquon's fault as much as Jason Garrett's, but uh, yeah, I don't think you were alone in being wrong about Saquon Barkley. Uh, it does really sting to think that those that took Saquon could have gotten somebody like a Jonathan Taylor, most likely probably could have gotten Austin Eckler, most likely could have gotten Joe Mixon. You know, that's, you know, that's Mm -hmm. always the game, but uh, my worst call is, is not uh, someone I picked who busted. It's, it's more the error of omission. And it is the last season that I will underestimate Josh Allen. (laughs) Uh, I have just, it's been one of those things before last year. It was, I can't pick a guy who isn't a good thrower of the football. I don't care how much he runs. And then after last year, it was, I can't trust that he's going to be that good again. And then here we are at the end of the season. And of course he's the number one player in fantasy football. Um, actually, let me, let me double check that. Yes, he is. He is number one in, in, uh, in fantasy football in terms of scoring. Um, Actually, wait, no, let me let me take that back. He's number two, according to fantasy pros behind Cooper Cup in full point PPR. Okay. So, you know, he's up there and he's definitely QB one. Um, so it's it's not a mistake I will make again, having seen what I've seen of the Bills this year. It's pretty clear that even when, as you predicted, Stefan Diggs had major regression in his productivity, Josh Allen's still going to get his. And uh, yeah, I will be happy to take him you know, in the second round next year, uh, as people look at guys like Mahomes and, um, you know, maybe even Justin Herbert, uh, possibly over Allen, but I, I really don't know how you would do that. You know, you and I are in a number of leagues together. And if I see you take Josh Allen in the second league, I, or the second round of any of these leagues, I'm just going to, I'm not going to know what to do with my, with myself. I'm going to I'm going to have to get another beer at that point because I'm just not going to be able to handle it on my own. The, the guy's I got back-to-back back ones by, I mean, a pretty clear yeah. margin. He stays healthy. I mean, he's got the rushing floor you love. Um, I mean, if if you were ever comfortable taking a quarterback early, I don't know how it's not Josh Allen next year. Yeah, I, I think that is the right call. Uh, speaking of the right call, I'll transition us into our next award, and I will give you the floor. Ross, what was your best call of this offseason going into 2021? Yeah, 2021. Yeah, again, it's it's one where it's not someone I picked, but someone I didn't pick. Uh, and that's Michael Thomas. Uh, precisely zero shares of Michael Thomas. And, you know, you and I had lengthy discussions on the show coming yeah. into the year about whether or not he was worth a shot. And there were two factors. One was obviously the injury and the fact that he was going to miss at least six weeks coming into the season that evolved into some disgruntled issues with the team as a whole. But for me, it was the productivity we saw in limited time in 2020 that said, I I don't know that Michael Thomas is, he certainly in my mind, wasn't worth the sixth round pick. Most people were spending to take a shot on a guy that you weren't going to see for at least half of the regular season. And, you know, the fact that he never played a snap, I think, really ended up being painful. And and with bad picks like that, I don't think you can ever talk about them without talking about what you gave up to make that risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was right in the time you could have had 
you know, some running backs like a Damian Harris. You could have had probably Jamar Chase around that time. You probably could have gotten Mark Andrews with that pick. And of course, there are just as many guys in that ballpark where they they busted. But, you know, those guys that busted, at least they probably played a couple of snaps for you. So Mm -hmm. uh, I was really happy to not have wasted that lottery ticket on Michael Thomas would have been happy to do it in round 12 or 13. But for those of you that took him in round six, I think that was a little too rich. No, I, that's a fantastic call. And I, and I love the names that you dropped alongside that. I'll, I'll give you one more question before I give you my name. It, is there a single player in all of fantasy football who it is more pivotal to see the 2022 preseason on than hmm. Michael Thomas? And, and, and even still, he might be off your draft board entirely, and I wouldn't besmirch that take for a second. But if this player is to come back and have a penny on the dollar of value, he's got to show me a lot in the preseason. He has to show me that he is Michael Thomas again. I just can't see any world. I can't see rostering him, and, and I have – go no, your just... head. How do you rank him? How do you rank him for 2022 right now? That's what I'm saying is in, in no matter what happens in the preseason, it, it's one of those things where he's not untouchable, but somebody in, in every draft room will like him more than I do, because you're not only yeah, running into his true. issues, you're running into the fact of their quarterback for next year is in all likelihood not on the roster right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they they're in one of those weird dead money situations. They basically cannot bring back Taysom Hill. Uh, if it was Taysom Hill, great. I would probably be on board. But I mean, I think that I think they gave him a real extension, by the way. I think Taysom Hill actually is back. It, oh, is is that news as of recently? Um, It's it's as of a couple of weeks ago, I think. OK, then. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing is what's the quarterback room going to look like? Because if it's if it's uncertain, Michael Thomas and an uncertain quarterback, I'm. I, that's probably too rich for my blood, but mm-hmm. um, that's that's what I think is more important to me than than seeing what happens in the preseason. Yeah, I believe that they did scratch off the voids on Hill and gave him a real extension, but I'll have to I'll have to verify that with with actual numbers. Uh, the best call that I made this off season, I mean, it has to be Corderell Patterson, right? Like I. I I, I, I felt like I was pounding the table in the offseason of, hey, this might be a thing. And, and admittedly, I didn't come at this with a ton of conviction. I said, and I'm going to I'm going to cite my own receipt, episode 96 um, or what was it? It was 96, 40, 94, 46 minutes in. Wow. All right. I, I jumbled that up. 94, 46 minutes in. That I said, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if Corderell Patterson is a real thing and is worthy of stashing at the bottom of your bench this offseason, um, but turned out to really be a fantastic piece for the first half of the season. Now, I'm going to get into this later, but Corderell Patterson really has taken a downturn as of late, and it's almost – I put this out on Twitter not too long ago. It's almost as if the Falcons – had this great plan for Patterson in the first half of the season. And then over the second half, they went back and they turned on some of his tape when he was in Chicago and new England, where he was a committee running back. And they were just like, Hey, yeah, I want some of that. And that's what he has been as of late. So 
he still finished as a top 10 running back on a point per game basis and in overall, but he's really taken a downturn over the second half of the year, but that doesn't make the bottom of your bench call any less something that I'm going to brag about to everyone who will lend an ear. No, I mean, and for a lot of uh, players, myself included, Cordero Patterson floated them for the first half of the season when, you know, you lost your JK Dobbins, your Gus Edwards, your Raheem Mostert's, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey was going to, you know, there were a lot of running backs that were out and, you know, it, mm-hmm. not to mention COVID issues where, you know, having a guy like Patterson who you were picking up, or if you were like me drafting him in a lot of situations um, based on Hayslip's advice, you, you had him stashed away and he was just one of those wonderful dart throws that, that panned out. Um, and I think he ended up finishing the year as uh, like running back like eight, um, I mean, something crazy somewhere in that range. Yeah. I mean, even as, as, as disappointing as he was for many of the, the latter games of the season, not again, not many guys were, were there as consistently as he was. And, and he really, I think only missed one game. So at least, you know, he was getting starts for you when, as I mentioned, a lot mm-hmm. of different guys were not providing that. So um, kudos to you. I will also say you were really close on Antonio Brown. I mean, and I'm not, saying that's <sighs> tell me about it I, I mean no I I appreciate that you you were uh, we were both right how about we say that that <laughs> yeah you know that, that's fair you you saw the opportunity and I think just one or two turns away from it being everything you said it would and at the same time it didn't get those turns for all the reasons I said it wouldn't so um Yep, yep, that's that's fair. I, I'll I'll also give kind of a a, a a honorable mention shout out. One of yours, um, a player that your one of your best calls was Rob Gronk, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you came in at one point. I think it was even your water rankings. So like your preseason rankings, and I want to say you had him as like your tight end six. And when the consensus was closer to like that thirteen fourteen range, and I think that's that's where about where he ended up for me. And you absolutely nailed this for the games in which he played. He was fantastic. So, so I got to give you a shout out on that. It's not one that we have listed in the Google doc, but hopefully people heeded your advice on, on the idea that if you're not getting a top three guy, he has as much upside as the rest of the pack. And you nailed that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I was pretty confident about that. And I think if he had played in some more games, I would have listed him for sure. But yeah, uh, let's move on to, uh, I like this category, uh, the player you still cannot figure out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first guy, that, uh, the only guy that I'm going to list for me is Debo Samuel. And the reason that he is the winner of this award for me is simply because I don't know, and, and this is a forward-looking award, admittedly. I have no clue how I'm going to not only rank Debo Samuel, but project his stats in 2022. There were many games this season where he had as many um, carries as he did targets, if not more. And so how do you how do you reconcile the idea that a quote-unquote wide receiver could be in the ballpark of 70 or 80 carries. And I just, I don't know necessarily what to do with that. Combining that 
with the fact that he had like some sort of stupid 60% something or another target share, opportunity share in the first half of the season, kind of before Ayuk found his way out of the doghouse and kind of came on as of late. What do you do with that? You can't project a player to get 60% of the of the wide receiver opportunities. So it's not that I can't figure out that he's going to be great in 2022. It's that I can't figure out how he's going to do it on a week-to-week basis. And just thinking about it makes me want to pull my hair out. Also, the fact that in uh, Trey Lance's week 17 start also against that. Houston, Good God. six targets— I mean, the guy, he still produced. Well, it's, it's the fact that Trey Lance, like, you can just stop the sentence right there. Like, like Trey Lance, like, what does that mean? I, I, I don't know. I got nothing. Well, I mean, the one big play Trey Lance made was hitting Debo Samuel for a touchdown. So, I mean, and he still, you know, put up 14 fantasy points. Uh, uh, I take that back. He put up uh, 16 fantasy points in half-point PPR. So, I mean, his mm-hmm. stat line is kind of nuts that he has 115 targets, 73 catches, 1,300 yards, six touchdowns receiving. Then he has 51 carries for 320 yards, seven touchdowns on the ground. Like that's that's very not sustainable. Well, it isn't, but here's the, the counter to that is that, you know, I mentioned at one point a couple weeks ago, I get nervous about running backs when they're not the centerpiece of the offense. And that is something that I think is encouraging for Debo is that whatever you want to say about the, the oddities of his stat lines, it's clear they want him to be a centerpiece of the offense. Now, I'm still waiting for him to get injured. That was my concern. And I think that he's the kind of guy where, oh, wow, Debo made it through a whole year. And then he's, you know, something's going to happen early next season. That I think is the, the lingering cloud that still casts doubt on him for me. So I'm with you for some slightly different reasons. Um, but if you stuck with them, if you drafted them this year, kudos, cause uh, it's one of those kind of special monster things that only fantasy football players get to appreciate. Yep. For sure. Uh, my guy is George Kittle. So staying on the same team. And I think here's my concern about George Kittle is that this year you saw three different phases of George Kittle. You saw the guy who gets hurt, George Kittle, who missed four or five weeks. You saw the absolutely dominant top tier difference making fantasy stud George Kittle. And then you saw a guy who just kind of disappeared in the offense. And, you know, I do understand that probably a part of that is, is because of Debo and that there was someone else to take targets, but I I just don't know how to evaluate him next year, especially in relation to some of the other guys up there. Um, You you know, I, I think that that gap, is not maybe Kelsey Kittle and then the the rest. I think you can probably make good arguments for Kelsey Kittle, Waller, um, you know, maybe even a Pitts and Andrews, all you know, five of those guys up there at the top. You know, and I'd, I'd still would say Rob Gronkowski not far behind. I mean, not up there, up there, but you know, he's he's a, a close tier too. Um, so I, this is, I think him and the position in general is a lot more muddy next year than it has been. And if not in reality, in the minds of most analysts heading into the 2022 season. No, I think that's, I think that's a good point. And I think that that's well said. I think that overall that might kind of, if that tier, like the way that we saw it coming into this year was there was a top three 
And then behind that top three, like, yeah, okay, there was a name or two that, that you and I each kind of had in our pocket of like, yeah, yeah, maybe. But generally speaking, it was the top three and nothing else. I think this upcoming year, you've got the five guys you've mentioned. Uh, Gronk could uh, definitely be in that mix. I think Hawkinson is still kind of fringe there. Gasicki's a free agent, but if he goes somewhere appealing, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, we've seen flashes out of Logan Thomas. I think that overall, the second tier of tight end, kind of that six through, I, I know I said this two years ago, but I think that that six through 12 range of tight ends, I even know a fan this past week, there are some names there that that might make it such that you could wait on the position. And if you ended up with drafting the ninth tight end off the board, you might be better in 2022 than would be the case in the last couple of years. So yeah. that's at least something that intrigues me. Yeah. Uh, and no, don't forget uh, Pat Fryermuth, of course. Um, yeah, about that. Yeah. No, I, no, I, I think, I think, I think that's a viable name. I, I don't think that he would be in the same ballpark as, as the ones that I just mentioned. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't think that our overall strategy of even if you took, say, I don't know, Gesicki at nine, like I don't know, arbitrary name, and then you also took Fryermuth at tight end fifteen, like I, I still think that that is a smart and viable way of attacking the position because even those tight ends that are six through 12, probably they're going to come with their share of question marks and there will be busts in that group. So I still think hedging your bets at the position with two guys that are above the Dawson Knox line, as we've, as we've discussed, Dawson Knox, another name that deserves to at least be part of this conversation. I think that hedging your bet in that sense, even in 2022 is still very much going to be a viable strategy. Sure. Um, all right, let's uh, move on to our next award. I think this can be kind of short and sweet. We don't need to go to, too much down the rabbit hole, especially given uh, the guys we've picked. Um, who is a player, Hayslip, that you were never drafting again? <laughs> never is a very bold word, um, but I have a really hard time imagining a world where Kenny Galladay is on my roster. Um, uh, he did not have a touchdown this year. It's already stated that it's most likely that Joe Judge and Daniel Jones and this dumpster fire and offensive line are going to be back. And all of a sudden, like they have, I, I don't want to say a lot of weapons, but Sterling Shepard was the receiver that you wanted on the Giants if you had any of them. Kadarius Tony certainly showed flashes when when given opportunities Kenny Galladay did not live up to his contract plus he was injured for a vast portion of the year so I I just I cannot wrap my head around drafting Kenny Galladay not just this year but but into the future because he signed there for I want to say it was 75 over five years so four uh, until was it four okay yeah even even still okay I mean like that doesn't change my stance of, okay, for the next four years, if he's a giant and there are question marks surrounding the pieces, surrounding the pass catching, the coach, I, 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 I have been, I was burned. I, I didn't have a ton of shares of him this year in redraft formats. Um, I did have one in the SBFFC and I had a dynasty share of him, but yeah, I going into 2022 and beyond, he is going to have to be 
a late, late, late round pick for me to even consider taking a dart throw. Uh, the, I liked your, you cannot think of a world where you draft Kenny Galladay. I actually can think of a world where I draft Raheem Mostert again. That world is where um, 1998 Mike Shanahan is the head coach and Will <laughs> Shields, Larry Allen uh, are brought back from a mid 90s time machine and and that is the offense in which Raheem Mostert finds himself. Um, I was going to say, is is Raheem Mostert like six years old in, the, in this world? You no, know, yeah, oh, okay. it's it's a it's a weird manipulation of the space time continuum. I mean, it's like a Got it. it's a okay. Spider Man No Way Home multiverse type of scenario. But um, Squirrel, if you haven't seen it, dear listener, please go see that immediately. Yeah, I've seen it. We, it we yeah yeah we won't spoil it at all the rest of this episode, but you sh- you should go see it. Yeah. Um, he two years ago, I managed to stay away because it was the whole they had too many cooks in the kitchen and Kyle Shanahan likes to have a lot of running backs. You never know who it's going to be. And then this year, you know, a lot largely because of, you know, guys like Dobbins going down and 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 me valuing guys like uh, Travis Kelsey. You know, I was looking at Raheem Mostert in many leagues to be kind of a fourth, fifth round pick who had a lot of upside. And you got what I think like a series out of him before he got hurt and went down, which is not a characteristic for him. I mean, the guy's also 28 years old, I think. I mean, he's he not- is older than than the perception of him would generally lead you to. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of factors, it's the injuries, it's the unreliability, it's the being on a team that. Uh, doesn't want to commit to one running back and now also has Elijah Mitchell and still never got Trey Sermon involved. You know, a lot of things where I'm like, I just can't see a world where Raheem Mostert, again, barring the aforementioned manipulations of the space time continuum uh, is ever on my (laughs) fantasy football team again. Yep. I'm with you. So let's pick up the pace a little bit here and let's go on to the next award which is the most boring, reliable guy award, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's a guy that you put in your lineup most weeks and they just kind of were fine. Like they, they didn't, they didn't blow you away, but they very rarely cost you a week and they were just kind of stable, steady Eddie assets in your lineup. And and those are those what those are the kind of guys that generally make fantasy championships. And, and I'll actually lead us off here and I'm going to go with Damian Harris as my pick. This was a, this was a popular pick that we talked about in a lot of zero running back discussions. And he really kind of fulfilled that. I mean, he did have two bust games, if you will, where he put up a little over two and, and about three and a half points in, in two busts. But then he also had two boom games where he went over 24 points in each of them. But the reason that he wins those awards or the that he wins this award is not because of those games specifically. It's the games in which it wasn't those. Every game except for those, he had between 7 and 17 fantasy points. And, and the vast majority of those, like there was only one game that was 7, the vast majority of those ended up in the 11 to 12 ballpark. I mean, somewhere between like 10 and 13 was where Damian Harris was every year. He was good for a couple of receptions. Maybe he fell forward into the end zone to salvage an otherwise poor rushing day. Uh, But ultimately, Damian Harris was kind of the ugly, steady Eddie type where he was always 
fine. No, and I actually, I mean, I, I would, if I were to name this award after someone, it would probably be Chris Carson, who ironically wasn't reliable yeah. at all this year. Um, but uh, Damien Harris was a name I had inserted here. And then I elected to go with Antonio Gibson. Uh, you know, here is one of those lines where if you drafted Antonio Gibson, a lot of people had him highly inflated. Um, I, I viewed him more as like a second round running back, but some people were arguing, you know, maybe you could take him in round one. Um, he, you know, he, he did okay for you. He finished the season as RB 12. He was an RB one when it was all said and done. He, he did have a couple of bus performances, but nine out of 15 times he was in double digits. You know, a, a guy who just continued to get double digit carries week in and week out. And, you know, this one as much is, is an award of attrition for him. You know, admittedly mm -hmm. he missed week 17, didn't play in your championship, but uh, you know, with, with so many of the other guys missing so much time from cook McCaffrey, Henry, you know, go on down, Aaron Jones, go down the list. You know, the fact that you were getting Antonio Gibson, you know, all all those weeks, but one, um, I do have some concerns because if you look at week 17, when he missed uh, a guy who I was high on early, you know, very in the pre-draft process, Jarrett Patterson showed kind of what you would hope Antonio Gibson would end up being. And I, I'm worried <laughs> that next year, Jared Patterson might actually be more of the guy, but um, who knows that might help Gibson from sort of a, a, a distribution less is more type of perspective. But this year, again, you know, for a guy that, that maybe never splashed or exploded as much as you wanted ending up as an RB one and giving you good performances, more weeks than not, wasn't sexy, wasn't great. Didn't boom a lot, but at least he was in your lineup, which is more than you can say for a lot of other guys. Uh, yep. Next, we'll go into looking ahead to next season a little bit. Uh, we've got two of these awards. Our last two we'll be looking towards next year. Um, the All In for 2022 award. Hey, Slip. Yeah. So the guy that I was all that I'm going to be all in on for 2022 is, believe it or not, I, I, I kind of feel cheap in saying this. But I think it's going to be Christian McCaffrey. And I don't think it's I cheap. Think, I think it's very spicy, just just to put your mind at ease. That's that's interesting. I think that this is going to be a situation where the pendulum is going to swing to the negative a little bit too hard. And and I almost don't care. Like the quarterback situation is probably going to be improved. The the offensive line situation is probably going to be improved from what we saw in 2021. And if he can stay healthy for even some of the games. It, it doesn't even, it, he is the classic scenario where if you take McCaffrey early and he is still in the elite tier of running backs, similar to what we've seen with Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin cook and, and guys over the last handful of years where there is a clearly defined handcuff, all of a sudden Christian McCaffrey falls into that ballpark. Now you have, a guy who has the ceiling of the one of the, of the top overall player in fantasy. And also you have a clearly defined handcuff in Chuba Hubbard. And I think that if you kind of play that game and ride both of them, all of a sudden you've secured the ceiling of McCaffrey with the moderately high floor of the workload of the quote unquote starting Carolina running back. If something happens to McCaffrey again, by way of Hubbard getting those carries. So 
My personal thought of a guy that I'm going to be all in on for 2022 is Christian McCaffrey because, it, quite frankly, I feel like I know how to play him by way of securing his insurance policy. For what it's worth, he was still RB8 this season on a points-per-game basis, which is such a, a bullshit manipulation of the statistics. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say it. it I, I like your argument about the handcuff. I think that really brought me around to what you were saying. I will be really interested to see where he sits from an ADP perspective. Um, and we might talk about that in just a little bit. Um, I, I think it's easy for me to say Jonathan Taylor touchdown here, but um, I'm going to go with Austin Eckler who stop trying to make fetch happen. I look, it's the last show. <laughs> I can take one more swing at it. You know, I like Austin Eckler because, as you mentioned, it's going to be Jonathan Taylor and then everybody else. And everyone else makes me extremely nervous for many reasons. Um, but Eckler is the guy who is explosive, who runs the ball well, who catches the ball well. Um, and, and and I just feel like if you watched him play at all, admittedly, he does meet that criterion of he's not the centerpiece of the offense as much as I would like. And I don't see that changing with the progression of Justin Herbert. But the guy just finds he's like Barry Sanders in so much as at least once a game, he's going to find a way to break four tackles and get in the end zone. And it, that sort of explosiveness, as we talked about in the two RB draft strategy point a couple of weeks ago, when I'm drafting that first round running back, I want someone who's explosive. And and you compare Eckler mm -hmm. to maybe a guy like Najee Harris, um, probably similar in terms of ADP next year. I, Najee didn't show that type of explosiveness as much as Austin Eckler. Not did. even close. And, and so that's where I feel like if I'm not getting that first overall pick and getting Jonathan Taylor, the next running back I want is Austin Eckler. Okay. No, I think that's I think that's all a good I, I think that's a good point I, I i think i will also be in on eckler so that takes us to the next point which is possibly my favorite name of all of our awards it is the oh lord i'm gonna be fighting way too hard against against blanks adp all off season because it is too high so basically this is an award where you think the hype is going to go absolutely nuts on a player and you are going to be pushing against this as an ADP. And can I'm we, gonna can we it, name this the Clyde Edwards Alaire Award? I think that's probably the, the mean, immediate comp it, that comes of to mind. Like 2021, sure, yes. But but I think I think the comp that I'm going to give you, or, or not the comp, the, the name I'm going to give you here for my first for for my answer might even blow Edwards Alaire out of the water. And that is Javante Williams. So I was listening to my favorite podcast recently, Fantasy Football Weekly, and they were having a discussion about what happens to the ADP of Javante Williams if Melvin Gordon leaves or if he stays. And, and they had the discussion on both sides of the coin. And the conversation boiled down to if Melvin Gordon leaves and Javante Williams is, quote unquote, the guy he is the number two overall player off the board in August behind only Jonathan Taylor. And that's bonkers to me because, yeah, like that could be. But quite frankly, in my opinion, he does not fit the risk profile for a responsible fantasy manager at that value. 
Now, there are guys that have higher upside. I would argue that my aforementioned Christian McCaffrey and Ross's aforementioned Austin Eckler have a higher overall upside than than Javante Williams, and and they come with at least some degree of safety that is higher than Williams being taken at number two. So it blows my mind that he's even in the discussion at at that pick if Gordon leaves and if Gordon or excuse and if Gordon stays, yeah, then the same discussion put Williams kind of in the back end of the second round where. Again, I can't see that happening. I He would probably end up being around my running back 15, 16 if Gordon were to somehow stay. So I, I already feel it in my bones. The hype on Javante Williams is going to be otherworldly. God forbid they bring in Aaron Rodgers or some other improvement at the quarterback position that's going to make this offense, quote unquote, better and give the running back more opportunities. And God only knows what it's going to look like. But I'm already getting frustrated talking about how Jonathan Taylor will not represent a responsible risk profile in 2022. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't hate what you're saying, but I also, I think if he has a clear workload, he's been explosive enough that I'm kind of interested. And again, just to go back to my point fits that profile of at least he's been explosive and he will have opportunity I mean, not certainly. I agree. Melvin with you. Gordon leaves. Javante Williams or Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler. I mean, I, I'm not. Melvin saying... Gordon leaves. Javante Williams or Alvin Kamara. Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, so, Aaron Jones, so, Nick Chubb. Give me Williams behind every one of those guys. So this brings. Even if Gordon leaves and Aaron Rodgers comes in, I, I'm sorry, the, the hype is going nuts. So this brings me to my point, which is uh, I'm giving the, oh, Lord, I'm going to be fighting against blank blanks ADP all offseason because it's too high award to all four of the 2021 big four <laughs> running backs. And you know, this is a point that, that we've made continually, right, that that there are there are few players about whom you have no doubts. And those players are the ones that go in the first four picks. After that, especially at the running back position, you have one of two concerns. One is that it's an older player who you're worried about whether or not they're going to be able to keep it up, or it's a younger player who hasn't necessarily proved it yet. And we've seen time and time again that you're far more likely to hit on the younger player who hasn't proved it yet. And that's why I like Javante Williams. I don't, it's tough for me to say right now more than I would a Derrick Henry, but I have a lot of concerns about those four guys and I, I would, I would in a way not be surprised if, you know, the, the overall ADP heading into next season is Jonathan Taylor and then the four guys again. But I, as I said, I'd much rather have Austin Eckler than those four guys. I'd probably with some mild improvements, rather have a Najee Harris than those four guys. Um, and Javante Williams, depending on how things shake out might be in that conversation. All of those guys are 27, 28 years old. All of them have seen a ton of touches. Um, it's it's just and and all of them now have some track record of of injury, and so it's it's just in well not Kamara, but Kamara really disappointed this season when he had an opportunity to be the centerpiece of that offense. I, I just all of them bring up concerns for me, 
And I, I just don't feel comfortable taking them in the one to five. And and when it gets to the point of where I do feel comfortable taking them, I would much rather have a younger, more up and coming back than, than one of those workhorses. Derek Henry, maybe being the exception. That see, that's, that's interesting. I would have almost thought that you would, that if you're going to zag, my thought would be that you would be more heavily pushing for the safety of the wide receivers at the top. And then if you're going to look to the younger running backs, you're going to do that kind of in the middle rounds. But but that's kind of that's kind of an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking ahead to next year. And it's like if I'm picking fourth, that's just dead. Like because Taylor's mm-hmm. going to be gone. It's too early for any of the guys I'd really want to take. I would probably take Eckler there. But, you know, that's kind of at a zone where I feel really uncomfortable. You know, after you get past Taylor, Eckler's the only guy I feel want that I would want and feel justified taking for a lot of the remainder of the first round. So it's 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 going to be a weird and key draft position next season. Yeah. Um, One honorable mention that I actually do want to throw out. We mentioned his name earlier on in the episode. It's actually Jamar Chase. And. I don't yet know how my top receiving tiers are going to shake out, but I'm really going to struggle to put Jamar Chase in my top five. I, I it might not shock. It, it would not surprise me if by the end of this, he kind of falls out of even like the top seven, top eight, and I'm lower on him than most. And the reason that I'm going to kind of at least mention this in passing, I don't want to kind of make a whole new segment out of this or anything. It's that his profile thus far has been extremely boomer bust. I mean, obviously, he went off this past week and and won a lot of people their fantasy championships. But before that, like he had a game like week 16, he put up 125 yards. But before then, the last game he had over 100 yards was week seven. I mean, and he's had like there was a stretch of the season weeks nine through 13 or excuse, nine through 12, excuse me, where he had. Or no, I guess nine nine he had that as well. But even still, he had less than fifty yards in weeks nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. And week thirteen he had fifty two. Week fifteen he had three yards. We the point is we have seen some massive boom and bust performances from Jamar Chase. And my fear simply in drafting him in twenty twenty two is that people are going to rank him in their top four ish, five ish receivers. And then all of a sudden he's going to go out the same way that he did in week 12 and put up three for 39 and that kind of be it. And you're going to be extremely, extremely disappointed by your late first, early second round pick having a performance like that that functionally might lose you a week. So I think I'm probably going to find myself in a position in 2022 where I'm going to be lower on Jamar Chase than the consensus and I'm going to spend far more time than is healthy pushing against it. Well, Hey slip, uh, let's move into our final segment, uh, which would normally be, I love you hate, but, um, instead in honor of our final episode, I thought let's take a minute and, and I almost do literally mean a minute because we're already at an hour (laughs) 15, but you know, we've been doing this for 118 episodes now with the goal of, of, as we always say, not teaching people or telling people what to think, but teaching them how to think. And so, you know, feel free to go through your whole list here, but, but maybe what are some things that you have really taken away, learned 
through this process of, of diving more into the research side and trying to understand fantasy football? Yeah, so I think you and I each kind of picked out three things that, that we thought were really big takeaways that we've learned from, from this experience. And the first one that I'm going to touch on is actually the importance of doing rankings multiple times throughout the offseason. Now, historically, I had kind of only done one kind of master ranking sheet in late July, early August as I prepped for drafts and as I started doing my dozens of ESPN free league drafts throughout and then I would kind of make some tweaks from there but I found our process of doing year in review and water and final rankings kind of in three distinct processes to be extremely valuable and and especially in contrasting and figuring out kind of getting into my own head um throughout the process why that was so valuable and and remembering what made each step of the process what it was, like why I ranked a quarterback in my year in review rankings, what I did, and how that's changed as it transitions over to the finals. The next thing that I thought was really interesting is how it this this taught me the value of not only consistency within the guys that you put in your lineup, but also kind of how to manage your lineup. We Over the last like handful of weeks, I've kind of taken the point in Academy of how to play the playoffs and, and, and various, and, and we've both done how to manage your roster kind of in the, in the waning weeks of the season. And that was something that I never really, it maybe, maybe I just never articulated well before. Uh, I, I remember in, in the first years of fantasy, I, I drafted guys like Anquan Bolden on a ton of rosters, guys that had that were fantastic NFL pieces, but ultimately had what 800 yard upside. Like like that you could you could slot them into your lineup if you wanted to lose by three every week. Fantastic, but I think that ultimately understanding what a valuable bench is and how to manage that properly and 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 the consistency of doing that week in week out was a big thing that that I was able to take away. And the last thing, and this is going to kind of be the biggest point that I'm going to take not only as our last episode, but, but moving forward as I stay involved in this space, is the value in kind of the deep dive statistical analysis. Not not only, uh, not always as a predictor, but but kind of really one to help in recent utilization. And uh, the, the most kind of on-the-nose example that, that I can think of is actually one that manifested this past week. Um, I mentioned Corderell Patterson as one of my answers earlier as being a call that I was really proud of early in the season. But how the second half of the season, the second half, really, the last handful of weeks, his deployment has been really, really different. And he's basically kind of become a committee running back. And so... He's, he hasn't been involved in the passing game. They're not targeting like targeting him the way that they had in the early season. And I was able to kind of do the deep dive on the stats on that and kind of figure out what his targets were and, and all of that. And it, it ultimately led me to taking to, to putting a couple of bucks on the under on two and a half receptions for Corderell Patterson this past week. And he had two. And so that was a that was a hit that I that I made. And it was a bet that I made because of the deep dive of the statistics. So Ross, I know you love to 
to, to poke fun at all the Power BI models and things, but I think that I found a lot of utility in kind of figuring out how a guy is being used and, and where he's being deployed and, and the transition through along the way and, and not necessarily using them always in the predictive sense, but, but the sense that they were, that, that there was a lot of value in it. And that's something that I feel like I've picked up kind of, kind of along the way, if you will. Yeah. I'll come back and touch on that in a second. Um, you know, I went back and looked through our doc and thought about, you know, what are the things that we've done? And, and I always take great pride in sort of unique knowledge that we generate. You know, that's my kind of researcher background and thinking about knowledge generation. So a couple of the things that that I think I was really intrigued by that I thought we uncovered in our own analyses. Um, first was that, you know, I, I, I have come to accept that injury proneness is something that's real and can be predicted. Um, not with 100% accuracy. Uh, you know, we, I, I decried Debo Samuel earlier, but uh, Christian McCaffrey was somebody I was really nervous about because he missed multiple games for multiple injuries last year. And if we, we ran a study where we showed that, you know, tearing an ACL is not a big deal. Guys can come back from that. Um, it's getting, getting to the point where a ruptured Achilles is not a big deal. But when you see a guy who misses three or four games here, three or four games there, and they're for different reasons, that is something that's starting to show that that, that player is simply more likely to miss games in the future. And I think it's something that as you look at injuries, understanding that and using that in evaluation is critical because as I've, I've talked about, I'll show that, you know, availability is the most important ability. The second thing is that rookies are far more bust than boom. And, you know, obviously we'll look at Jamar chase and talk about how great his season was. And, and, Oh, if you drafted him, he was a hit but you can run down the list of the other rookie wide receivers. And I mean, even Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith who had good rookie seasons weren't really returning that much value from a fantasy perspective, throw in, you know, Elijah Moore who looked great, but got hurt Rashad Bateman who never really kind of came on as much as, as we'd hoped, you know, there were more busts and we forget about the busts um, when it comes to rookies and it becomes so easy to fall in love with the potential of what might be that we forget that that's a really low probability. And lastly, you know, kind of counter to your point, Hayslip, I think what I've learned in, in looking at what we do and looking at Twitter and reading what other people do, you know, prediction is a, a funny science. You know, someone always, you know, people always say, you know, no one can predict. No, anyone can predict. The problem is being right. Mm -hmm. And I think you, you, my final point is kind of, I mean, I mean kind of maybe perpendicular to your final point. Uh, I do think looking at data to understand what has happened is important in building your knowledge of those things. So like you said, you were understanding what Cordero Patterson, how his implementation was changing. The question becomes, and what I am convinced of having done this for over two years now, is that means jack squat when it comes to predicting things for most people. <laughs> and we have all of the – the whole point of the Not Analytics podcast was Hayslip and I looking at the way people were presenting data and these deep dives and saying – but you still aren't any better at, at predicting what's going to happen than someone who just watches game film. Because if you can't translate those data into an understanding and, and a narrative, as, as you are often want to say, hey, Slip, that will predict what will mm -hmm. happen in the future, those data are meaningless. 
if in in for the purposes of what we talk about in terms of fantasy football and and that's where i feel like analytics as a whole is is and not just in sports everywhere there is a big difference between descriptive and predictive data and and that is something that i think we as a field need better to understand and and as much as we've made that cry for the last couple of years i still don't see happening um so i hope for you hayslip as as you move on and and continue this work <laughs> you keep that in mind learn some split validation of samples things like that you know uh predictive analyses and and those metrics that go beyond just understanding what did happen. How does that help us garner an understanding of what will happen? Absolutely. All right. So, hey, Slip, it's been a wild ride. Anything you care to share before we sign off one last time? I I don't. I, I think, once again, I just want to thank you for all of the time and the energy and the work that you've put in. It's been been a pleasure and an honor and i can't wait until ultimately you miss this too much and it draws you back well (laughs) i appreciate your 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 sentiment but uh i want to thank you as well uh you know if you want to find any of the stuff we've done you can still find us online at notanalytics.com and on twitter at not underscore analytics and i feel i'd be remiss if i didn't say before we signed off Wash your hands. Happy trails to you until the